Thank you, Pastor Clint and Pastor Will, and just agree, agree wholeheartedly with what we have uh, sang this morning together and also uh, with that prayer unto the Lord. Uh, I want to encourage you, pastors have this tendency, and, and we're struggling. We're, we're wanting to get, to back, get back together quickly. One of the fears in our hearts that we have to continue to submit to the Lord is that he's taking care of his people, but that the longer that we're away, that there will be more who will fall away, who may not be quick to come back into the fold. Now, hear me clearly. That doesn't mean you want to show caution in coming back for safety reasons. We understand that. But just getting out of rhythm, out of habit of coming, of, of meeting. And so I want to encourage you with this. Keep these Sunday mornings sacred, set apart uh, for meeting through live stream. Because we could get in the habit now of saying, you know, I'll go back and watch the service later. I want to take my morning to do something else. Uh, but would you just keep setting aside this time, staying within the habit of, of this hour, of us meeting together, although through live stream we're still meeting together. And I think that will continue to spur us on towards a a habit, a healthy habit of meeting together so that when we do come back together publicly, that has not been lost. So just on my heart, just want to share that with you. And as we come to the Word today, we're going to be in Romans 5. But we're not going to get very far in Romans 5. We're actually going to backtrack back into Romans 4. So if you will open your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans 4 and 5. And if you're taking notes, I just want to write at the top of your notepad there, faith is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. I've seen recently driving through town and looking on social media and just listening to others speak this phrase, I've heard this phrase, faith over fear. May we not be a people who fear, but a people who have faith. We've said that in our preaching and our encouragement to you. And indeed, it's, it's true. We should be a people who have faith and who do not fear, who do not fear the things of the world. We don't fear sickness. We don't fear death. Uh, we trust fully in God's promise. But when we're talking about faith, are we meaning just any type of faith? Are we saying, hey, don't fear, but be happy. Just dig down deep and, and find that meaning in life within you. Just work hard, be determined, be passionate, don't give up. And I think we can mean all of those things when we're speaking of a faith that we show in one another, encouraging one another. Hey, I have faith in you. Is that, is that what it means, though, when we look to the Bible? Like, hey, pastor, I have faith in you. I know that you're going to continue forward. We, we're placing faith in you, meaning we're confident, we're encouraged, we trust that you're going to keep going. But yet none of this truly hits on what is faith when we look in the Bible. When we're looking in Romans chapter 4, in Romans chapter 5, really the whole book of Romans and throughout God's Word. And so I wanted to take this Sunday and probably the next two Sundays to work through Romans 4 and Romans 5 as we look at faith and justification and peace with God. 
These are important. In fact, in life, this is most important. Now you say, hey, what happened to the book of John, Brian? When, when are you going to get back to John? When we gather back together publicly, we'll dive back into the book of John. It's not that uh, the book of Romans is more special than the book of John. That we know that this is God's word. And it's all valuable. It's all precious. But we'll just treat that as a homecoming, coming back to the book of John, which we have steadily gone through for a year and a half. But for today, in the next few weeks, we'll be in Romans. So Romans 5, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we go any further, I'm going to pull a Pastor Joby here, and we're going to say, what is the therefore, therefore? I love how he's always faithful to point that out. And we are going to ask that question. What is the therefore, therefore? Why does he say therefore since we have been justified by faith? Well, if we want to understand a therefore, we need to go back to chapter 4. That's what we're going to do today. So turn back, Romans 4, 1 through 5. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our father according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, we're going back and we're answering what is the therefore, therefore, because moving forward, we're seeing how our faith leads to a, a justification, meaning that we are in right standing with God. We are declared righteous. No more important place to be than to be in a right standing with God, to be declared righteous. But how is this possible? Because we all know that we fall short. We have our struggles and, and maybe through this time of isolation, some of that old flesh that we thought we had put to death has made itself manifest again. We want to be a righteous people, but we struggle with this righteousness because we don't always feel righteous. Many times we don't feel righteous. So how can we be a righteous people? That's what we're discovering here by faith in Romans chapter 4. We ask this question, what did Abraham gain according to the flesh? When we're talking about flesh, we're not talking about skin. We're not talking about the stretchy substance that holds our bodies together. When we speak of the flesh, we're talking about one's own will, one's own doing. We're speaking of human works. What did he gain by human works? If Abraham were justified by works, then he would have something to boast about in himself. Because he would have earned something. He would have gained an eternal reward through hard work and determination. Is this what Abraham gained? 
For Paul's audience, as he's writing to the Romans, he's writing to the Jews and the Gentiles. For the Jews, they would say, yes, Abraham gained righteousness through works, through circumcision, through law even. But what Paul's pointing out to them is that before there was law, before there was circumcision, before there was an Isaac, there was a promise. God made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham trusted the promise. He believed God. This is monumental. Huge when it comes to faith. It's not something that we should quickly read over and continue forward. That's why we're taking our time today on faith. Is this what Abraham gained? A righteousness by digging deep, finding faith within himself? being determined to trust God at all costs? Paul follows it with an important question in verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Don't you love that question? What does the Scripture say? In fact, this whole argument, this whole debate where the Jews are saying, our father is Abraham. We have works. We have law. We have a bloodline. We are the people, the righteous people of God. But what Paul is pointing out is the Scripture. And it was there the whole time. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Nothing of law. Nothing of works. Nothing of circumcision. Believing God, believing the promise. We have things that we're baffled by. Things that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around. Why a pandemic? Why sickness? Why confusion on when to go back to normal life or or staying within the home? Why these sins? Why do I struggle with these things? Why do people do wicked things towards one another? And that's where we ask this question. What does the scripture say? Every question you have, everything you deal with, every challenge you face is answered within the scriptures. And this debate is answered within the scriptures. Verse 4. Works come with wages, meaning we earn from our work. And these wages are not a gift. But these wages are what is due to us. As we clocked in and clocked out in the works of our flesh, we earn from our work. But but verse 5, to the one who does not work, but believes. When it comes to believing, when it comes to faith, when it comes to trusting in God, this has nothing to do with works which means then it has nothing to do with what we earn. We didn't dig deep and by our own determination figure out something that other people are having difficulty figuring out. Abraham's not some different type of human being from the rest of the race. No, he can only boast in the grace of God. But when we hear this, 
that he believes. Are we talking about just believing? Is that it? Just thinking right thoughts of God? Is that all there is to this? No, it's, it's not just any belief. Believing that, hey, we can be somebody or as long as you believe in a type of God or you believe in a type of righteousness or a type of good work, then you're going to be okay. Just believe. It doesn't matter what you really believe in. Just believe. What are we telling people when we say just believe, but God's not at the center of that belief? It's false. There's only one true belief. And it's trusting in the promise of God. That he is who he says he is. Believe in him who justifies the ungodly. Paul would later speak to the Philippians. And as he wrote in that letter, we see it in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What Paul was saying is, if there's anybody who could look to righteous works, good works of the law, it's me. A Pharisee of Pharisees. Man, I worked hard. I accomplished a lot in the name of religion. But all of that, I count as a loss. All of that is put behind me. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What did Abraham truly gain by trusting in God? By trusting God's word? He gained Christ. He gained Christ before Christ ever came to this world. It was a looking forward. It was trusting that God would follow his promise. He would follow through in what he says he's going to do. Yeah, it began with having a son named Isaac. But yet there was a grander picture here that would be revealed in the future. But there's only one type of people who can be justified. Only one. The ungodly. When we recognize that we are ungodly, we see our need for being justified. But if we think that we're godly, that we're good, that we're okay, that we're not really that bad, do we really need justification? Do we really need to see, or do we see in ourselves that we need justification to be made right? That's when we come to the point of realizing that we have sinned against the Holy God. We are ungodly people. We need to be justified. And there's only one who can justify the ungodly. Christ. Only one. No other religion, no other way, no other philosophy in life. Christ is the only way. He is the only one who can justify and make right. The result of all of this, of Abraham, is his faith is counted as righteousness. Counted as righteousness. Paul would later say in Philippians 3, 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And as this is spoken of every believer in Christ, it's also spoken of Abraham. His righteousness comes through faith 
That faith, a gift from God. God revealing to Abraham his need to trust in a promise. How can our faith accomplish such a great reward? Many times we say it so flippantly, don't we? We just say, hey, just have faith. We're just saying, hey, just get over it. Man, just try, everything's going to be okay. Or we're saying, you know what, man, I don't really feel like getting into the matter in which you're dealing with right now. Just have faith, man. It's just going to work itself out. At the end, it's all going to be good. But yet, when we're talking about faith, we're talking about something much deeper than that. It's what God has accomplished for us through Christ. He is our reward, Christ Jesus. How can our faith accomplish such a great reward? Because our faith is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Our faith is counted as righteousness, not earned as righteousness. The beginning point is not to say, hey, have faith, and then you will earn good standing with God. But no, God works in our lives far before that. And also, we're not talking about a lazy believism. Hey, you just have faith, meaning that you don't have works. Later, that would be addressed in the book of James, that a true, living, vibrant faith has works, but those works do not lead to a true, vibrant faith. We believe, but we cannot take credit for it. We give all glory to God. Why is faith so precious? Because it begins with God. This is our strength. This is what we hold to. This is the faith that we speak of, and this is the faith that we see in Romans 4 and 5. Verses 13 through 15. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. There's a lot said here in these three verses, so let us break it down. We receive the promise of God through the righteousness of faith. Meaning we are justified by faith alone, not our works. If our works could attain a righteous standing before God, then that means that Faith is null and the promise is void, meaning it's useless, meaning the work of Christ Jesus, useless, no need. He would not have to come to this earth. If we could come somehow conjure up this work of faith in ourselves. But not only that, but as we look to the law, we're also reminded that the law brings wrath. You disobey. You were punished. You must die. The law puts to death. But the law also exposes our sin. How do we know that we sin if we don't have a law before us? Without the law, how would we know our transgressions? What does transgression mean? It means to cross the line to trespass against God's righteousness, His holiness, His goodness. The law 
exposes our transgression. And for this, we're grateful for the law. The law in and of itself is good. But to believe that we could be saved by the law, that is bad. That is false. That is what Paul is pointing out here. No one is saved by the law. None of us can do the works of the law. The law reveals that, that we fall short. Some of our greatest passions and longings in life are fueled by law-breaking enthusiasm. Some of our greatest passions and longings in life are fueled by law-breaking enthusiasm, creating a man-centered euphoria. It's being passionate and excited and feeling the thrill of doing something that's wrong. Knowing that it's wrong, but we willingly do it. We transgress, we cross the line. Our human flesh vibrantly seeks out the forbidden fruit, the risk, the high, the fantasy, the comfort, the danger, the darkness. But once we take a bite of the forbidden fruit, sin relentlessly taunts, corrupts, and ultimately destroys our being. But the law, the law stands mightily before us and reminds us that we will never uphold the righteous standards of God by our own works. And we need to know this truth. The law faithfully reminds us. But what the law does not do to our sin cravings and our man-centeredness is save us. It only reveals that we need to be saved, that we need to trust in God's promise, Christ Jesus, who came and upheld the law and did everything right before God, that we trust in His works and not our works. And it's only through His works that it's finished that we can be saved as we trust that He came and He lived for us a perfect life that he died for us on the cross, meaning he took upon our sins, paid for our sins, paid for us, purchased us by his blood at the cross, received the wrath of God. Instead of us receiving the wrath of God for what we have done against God, Christ received that wrath at the cross. He said it was finished and he died and he rose from the grave, leading to our justification. This is what we trust. But the law could never do this. Only Christ Jesus. But understand this about the law, as it reveals our need for Jesus, that the law never changes. It is not swayed by emotions. It does not change with the times. For example, there used to be a day, and my parents speak of this, when they could drive down the highway and there were no speed limits. Everybody decided how fast they needed to go. As my dad would tell me, he said, Brian, you'd be amazed that people weren't speeding down the road as fast as they could go. They traveled with safety. But later, I guess, as more cars were on the road, they decided, hey, let's put up speed limits. And maybe you know the history behind speed limits, and you can tell us. I'd, I'd love to know more. But then we began to have speed limits of 45 miles per hour, 55 miles per hour. Do not pass this limit. Law changed. 
Well, the law of God never changes. It remains the same. And it's not different for one person as it is for another. But aren't we notorious for thinking that the law doesn't pertain to us, meaning that the righteous standards of God, not all of them pertain to us? But yet all of us have to meet the righteous standing of God, and we cannot in and of ourselves. That's why we fully trust in Christ. The law points us to our need for Christ Jesus. As we continue on, Romans 4, 16 through 21, this is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised Paul says that is why it depends on faith. That is why it, what is, what is it? The promise of salvation. That's why the promise of salvation depends on faith. So we see in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Our salvation depends fully on grace. Not just any grace, God's grace. And from God's grace comes our faith. We are awakened to our need for Jesus. And faith is placed in Christ. He continues, he says, "...in order that the promise may rest on grace." and be guaranteed to all his offspring. I love that word order that we see here in Scripture because there is godly order to our salvation. God acts fully and God acts first. Douglas Moo says, the promise becomes a reality and a reality for anyone who believes. If you're, if you're wondering, well, can I have faith, trust Look to Christ on our level, on our human level. We are placing faith and trust in Christ. But none of that is possible without the grace of God. And this is victory. This is great news. This is not something that threatens us, but heals us, brings life to us. Our works fall short, but God's grace always upholds his people. And they find their rest in him. And so with this, I want to give you four things about faith today that we see here in the scripture. Number one, faith requires the presence of God. Faith requires the presence of God. As we see in the presence of God in whom he 
believed. God came to Abraham. and He placed faith in God's promise. We know this. We see this. It's because God was present among him. Resting in his presence is necessary for our faith. Resting in the presence of God is necessary for our faith. We rest from our work and we rest in his work. That's what we see here. It's not Abraham's work. It's God's work. It's not our work. It's God's work. God is the origin of our faith. We, we heard that last week and I'll remind you again, God is the origin of our faith. It begins with God. It always has began with God. We are his people, his chosen, his elect people. He has set aside for his glory, his namesake. When did this happen? As we see in Ephesians 1, it was before the creation of the world. And with this, this is where we find our confidence in God's work. Number two, faith is a gift made available to us when God calls us forth from the deadness of our sin. Paul says, who gives life to the dead. Now, in this context, speaking of Abraham's body, because he was 100 years old, around that age, and Sarah, who was up in age as well, she had a closed womb. She was not able to have children herself. So the deadness of her womb, God brings forth life. No life could come forth from their own doing. Abraham had to trust in the promise. Oh, how he wanted a son, a son of his very own. And yet God gives a promise that he would have a son that he would take that which is dead and make alive. But we now see a fuller picture of this, don't we? We are dead in our sin and no life can come forth except by God's promise, by his grace. We are dead in our sins. We have no response, no reaction in and of ourselves until God makes alive within us. That is why when we see Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we say, Amen. It is fully God's work. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Church, is it just grace that is God's gift? Or is it faith? It's both. It's grace you have been saved through faith. We have this grace, we have this faith, all of it. Why? Because it is a gift that God provides for his children. It is secure. When you place faith in Christ Jesus, that is not something you stumble upon. It is something that is planned, a sovereign plan that can be trusted. It is good. It is firm. And we stand upon the good confession. When Isaac was born, Abraham did not step out of the tent and say, look at me, I still got it. No, he never had it. He needed God's promise. And he fully relied upon that promise. Number three, faith is enabled when God calls into existence the things that do not exist. Faith is enabled when God calls into existence the things that do not exist. What do you see with this calling? As we look forward, we see an effectual call of regeneration. 
God calls forth, brings to life, calls into existence that which did not exist. I mean, we, we begin with creation. Let there be, and, and there was, based on His Word. There's nothing alive in us that gives glory to God until God speaks, until God awakens, until God makes us alive. There's an effectual call. John Reisinger says this, The Scriptures clearly show that faith and repentance are the evidences and not the cause of regeneration. When we speak of regeneration, we're talking about a hard change. We're talking about a hard, stubborn, rebellious heart against God who says, yeah, you may be God, but there are other gods. Or no, you're not God. Or, or this is the God I want you to be. And that all changes at salvation. A soft heart is put within us. Grace proceeds. And then we see God for who He is because of God's grace. And we place faith in His promise, His goodness. And it's the evidence. How do I know that I'm saved? Because I have faith. I've had change towards God. This is the evidence that God has gone before us. We look to Acts 16, 14 of Lydia. And this is what the scripture says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Do you remember the time in your life when God opened your heart? to pay attention to the things of God. I remember that. I was 13. I couldn't tell you that God was opening my heart in that moment. But as I look back, He truly opened my heart to see the beauty and the glory of Christ Jesus and my desperate need for Christ and His work on my behalf to save my being, that I would be justified and made right and made new. He opens the heart John Reisinger continues on as he speaks about Lydia here. He says, her natural heart is blind. Her natural heart is averse to God. And her will is in bondage to sin and spiritual death. Only the power of God can free her from this graveyard of spiritual depravity. Wow. God creates out of nothingness. Out of the nothingness of people's empty, sinful lives. A new, vibrant, spiritual life. Scripture continues on. It says, In hope he believed against hope. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was a, as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver with unbelief. What is this unbelief? Unbelief is an act of belief in myself. Faith in God's promise rescues us from the dangers of unbelief. May we say it this way, faith and God's promise rescues us from the dangers of ourselves. What might we do to ourselves in unbelief? He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We're going to come back to that passage there uh, next week and the week following, but... I want to hit on it just for a moment. Faith leads us to be fully convinced of the work of God. There's no other way. When we receive faith and we place faith in Christ, there's, there's no other way. We're fully convinced that Jesus is the Christ. And we boast of God's grace. We say it is fully the work of God that we are saved. There's no other way for us to consider a life eternal or the purpose of living life or why we're here 
we're fully convinced of the work of God. Uh, Thomas Schreiner, in his book, Faith Alone, the Doctrine of Justification, which I would recommend to you, Faith Alone, the Doctrine of Justification by Thomas Schreiner. In his book, he says this, Indeed, faith is not something that originates with human beings. Yes, human beings believe the gospel and are saved. And so, in that sense, faith is exercised by human beings. At the same time, however, faith ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit and is a gift of God. Faith alone accords with the God-centered character of the gospel, for faith gives all glory to God for our salvation. Man, that is good. True faith remains fixed on the glorious work of God. So when we say faith over fear, we fear when we take our eyes off the work of God and place the burden of work on ourselves. That's when we fear. Faith remains fixed on the glorious work of God. How can we be sure of this? Well, just know this, that God doesn't just pitch the idea of salvation to us and we come in to close the deal. It's all of his glorious work. Yes, we respond in faith. Grace proceeds. All of this, glory to God. And we're reminded of this in Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The golden chain of salvation, which will never be broken because it's held together by God, our faith fully relies upon his work. I'll stop there. I have a few more. I'll, I'll pick, on it, pick up on it next week. But in closing, based on what we see here before us, we are a people of faith. But when we mention faith, we're not talking about something that's flimsy. We're not talking about something that's just wishful thinking. We're talking about something that's deep and meaningful and has its roots in God's grace. It's true. And we practice it every day by trusting God. But I encourage you, church, and I encourage you, our, our guests joining in today, the attempt here is to give full glory to God that as we place faith in Christ Jesus, we have justification. This was never about works. This was never about our own doing. But what it does is it sets us free to go and do the work of God. We are now in a position to work for the glory of God. Not so that he'll love us more. Not so that we'll be more righteous. We're not going to be more righteous tomorrow than we were today, than we were yesterday. Our righteous standing is in Christ Jesus. Righteousness has been placed on us. Join us next week as we talk about the righteousness of Christ placed upon us, our justification. But as we close, to those of you who are watching today, if you're saying, how can I be justified? How can I be made right? How can I have true faith? Would you, where you are, confess and believe truly that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe the message of the Bible that the only way we could be made right made righteous, have true faith, is by believing what Christ has done. Would you place true faith in Christ today? Be saved and follow Jesus. If, if that's you and you're saying, that's where I am right now, or that's where I was this past week, and, and, and I want to make this known, would you reach out to us? Would you email us? 
We'd love to walk alongside you. We want to encourage you to, to the church. Uh, walk in this faith. Be bold. Do not waver. Do not fall apart. At our weakest moments, may we remember this faith that we have by God's grace. And may we hold to this faith that Jesus is the Christ and he has done the work for us. May this lead us to go do a great work for God, for his glory this week. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for what we see here in Romans 4. We thank you that when we look back to Abraham, it's the same for him as it is for us. It's always in the promise what you have established through Christ Jesus. You bring to life that which was dead. You bring into existence that which did not exist. Thank you that we are your people and may we go forth and spread the message of Jesus so that others will look to Christ and declare this good news and stand justified in the works of Christ Jesus by faith. As we continue forward, we ask your blessings. May we be a people who honor you, who remain steadfast, again unwavering, bold in the faith, And with any doubts, any insecurities, any fears, may we bring those to you in faith, trusting we will be strengthened and guided by the Holy Spirit to continue forward the work you have called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.